Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have three co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sigona, our friend Mary Haddix-Hermans, and our friend Sean Rimkunas. Um, Sean, Mary, and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, uh, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. And via Spotify, one of the pillars of film scoring and the most popular film composer of his era and of this podcast, John Williams has created music for some of the most successful motion pictures in Hollywood history. Star Wars, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Jurassic Park, and Harry Potter are just a handful of selections from an extensive catalog that has included over 50 Academy Award nominations. His instrumental themes from Jaws, Close Encounters, and Star Wars all charted on the Billboard Hot 100, but Star Wars is cracking the top 10. Over time, he was recognized for his prowess with more poignant material as well, such as Best Song Oscar nominee Somewhere in My Memory from Home Alone and his mournful violin theme performed by from his Oscar-winning score for Schindler's List in 1993. However, he has remained associated across genres for his lush, exciting, romantic music for other worlds, including the first two Jurassic Park films in the 90s, the first three Harry Potter films in the 2000s, and the episodic Star Wars prequels and sequels. In the early 2020, as he entered his 90s, Williams is set to work on his fifth straight entry in the Indiana Jones film franchise, which we will actually talk about today. While not prolific in the concert hall realm, he has composed concertos for no fewer than 10 different instruments among dozens of other orchestral and chamber works. And Hunter, we've talked about him a plenty on this podcast. We have. Um, we're so excited to finally be this finale of his movie and collective works that we've talked about so long. I believe this is only one of our 12th or 13th podcasts that we've actually done on him. Um, to me, collectively, this is our seventh podcast on John Williams, which is very exciting. Hunter, I'm sure we're excited to get into it, and so we are. All right, Hunter, we are so excited to get this done. We've been so far away from John Williams for a very long time. Um, oh, wow. We've talked about so many different things over that time, but one thing has consistently met my mind and sort of sort of consistently stuck with yours just because we had a very active summer mm -hmm. and so many things that we talked about during the summer was oh did you hear that john williams was writing his last score mm -hmm. for yep. like movies in general and that last score being indiana jones in the dial of destiny which is really exciting to talk about i'm sure you're excited to see it i'm excited to see yep. it um, there's just so much to talk about, and today I thought we could sort of finish up through his 2010s and get through to 2023, which would be his last movie piece for this year, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. Okay, so the first song that we have to talk about is The Adventures of Tintin, The Secret of the Unicorn, which was made in 2011. Uh, intrepid reporter Tintin and Captain Haddock set off on a treasure hunt for a sunken ship commanded by Haddock's ancestor, 
it was actually kind of funny when we put this together. This was one of the first ones we listened to together. And mm-hmm. right away, you and I both looked at each other and was like, man, is this John Williams. Which is Very so funny so. because we listened to so much of his music. And some of the characteristics that we find is his unison lines and beginning of phrases, his unison lines and beginning of, uh, let's say, seg- uh, sentences or segues. Um, something that's funny is the use of, I think it's harpsichord. Yeah, and, I think so. and bass and bass clarinet, um, which I think is really funny and adds to the sort of goofy nature of it. Um, mm-hmm. The sax and the trumpet come in, and it feels a little more shady and dodgy and sort of yeah. in that jazz realm that we're talking about. I kind of wrote that it reminded me of Catch Me If You Can. Um, I watched a video where John Williams talked about the scoring for this, and he said that that's kind of how he began like he wanted to write something jazzy and i was like well he kind of modeled it after catch me if you can just only a little bit like i mean there is there are aspects of it that are in there um i wasn't sure how you felt about that but that to me was the stylistic approach that i think john williams went for in this piece i think i definitely think so i mean it sounds i think of all his um of all his score, you know, we talked about how he started, you know, in, in as a jazz pianist, and and you know, that's sort of how he broke into the the music world. Um, and I think we definitely see the what would I what, how would you say his his jazz roots in here, which the first time we really saw it, other than it was a really there's a really early movie, something about money that we talked about of his. Oh yeah, that's right. It had a jazz score to it. Um, but it was really really early on for him. I want to say maybe late sixties, early seventies. And other than that, we hadn't really seen that style until we got to Catch Me If You Can, which was much more of this reminds me of like a investigative, uh, you know, there you you mentioned it it was like a shady sound to it. This Mm -hmm. one has a similar that same feel to it. And, you know, you mentioned bass clarinet is a big part of it. The very Mm -hmm. staccato nature of the way the instruments are playing gives it this creeping feeling like you can imagine everyone tiptoeing around looking uh, has uh, you know the Incredibles at times has similar which is obviously not him that's Michael Giacchino but um that same style you know it's meant to be like sneaking it's meant to be you know they're they're trying to to find out what's happening you know um the beginning of the piece obviously starts with like you mentioned just harpsichord oh yes that was right it was, it was the movie was daddy-o from back in 59, so it was even earlier than I thought. Um, you mentioned harpsichord, bass, clarinet, gives it sort of the foundations, because both do really well when they play staccato, it gives it that sort of... Um, that resonant sound. I yeah, resonance to it, right? Because the harpsichord is very shrill, but the bass clarinet's very low, so it gives it a little body to it. And then when they come with the saxophone and trumpet, which even then they mute the trumpet at certain points, gives it like that very... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost film noir sound. Yeah, I think. You know what I mean? Like you expect to see the, you know, the guy, the private eye with a, with a top hat and trench coat walking down the, standing under the street light. Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of the 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 feel that I got from it, and definitely catch me if you can is I think the first time he uses that. Right. Maybe the first time I've heard John Williams a little bit out of his um atonal music, to to this piece to, to like any film music for me like i feel like yes it there is sort of like a, a basis to it 
but it was mm-hmm. never really settled for me and that's why i, I might mention it could be atonal because it doesn't it doesn't feel grounded you know no there like, is something very nebulous about it right it doesn't but feel not like nebulous in the sense of you know that the tonality is the nebulous part not necessarily you know the rhythm is very structured the um the instruments are very put together it's not nebulous like uh no the reich or something you know it's you it's know, very yeah and you know what's also interesting about this piece is the the nature of the fugue it's not a fugue mm-hmm. but it's like a, it's almost like a because it's a it's a canon where like two voices are also kind of jumping on top of each other a few could be if they had a couple of more voices but i don't really feel like there are more maybe there's like a background drone or something like that in the middle of the piece a little bit but there are two fighting you know there are two fighting voices and that could be tintin and that could be the captain that are sort of fighting those are the ones doing it the whole time and i think that's what um i think that's kind of what uh his character arc seemed to be like we'll talk about it with like bfg and we'll talk about it a little bit today with obi-wan how those characters arcs they really find a way to like move the music so i feel like that's kind of how this kind of came about so so mm-hmm. do you have any other comments about this piece or should we move on no i don't think so i think that, that sort of gets to the gist of it and admittedly i haven't seen the movie so i really couldn't tell you how um it plays into it. The one thing, though, when you mentioned the title, I, when I was Googling the movie um, mm-hmm. in order to, like, you know, just see things about it, there were two movies that well, it wasn't a movie. A movie and a show both popped up. And The Secrets of the Unicorn was actually, I think, like a 1970s, like, TV show. Um, mm. And then the the 2011 movie was just, it was just called The Adventures of Tintin. I don't think it had a subtitle. Oh, wait, you don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think it was just the adventures of Tintin. Okay, I thought maybe it it, it was just because um, the adventures of Tintin. The adventures of Tintin. Oh, that could have been adventures of Tintin too, maybe. Um, yeah. That, maybe that's probably why. Maybe that's why I wrote that down. Huh. That's funny. Something okay. to keep in mind. Yeah, you're probably right. Okay. All right. You know, I... I, I <laughs> I never know what to do in those situations. So, um, okay. All right. So the next song we're going to talk about is from War Horse. I believe mm-hmm. it has to deal with so many different kinds of variety, sort of shifting gears from going from sort of like a goofy kind of like a tonal sound to this English sweet sound. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a lot of, um, Rayfon Williams vibes and Percy Granger vibes when I listen to yeah, this. Yeah, I know what you mean. So, especially with the beginning, again, almost in vain with Rin, almost with Rintin, well, with Tintin. Great Rintin. <laughs> yeah, sort of like a Tintin where he um, he starts out with this sort of like unison line. He does the same thing with the, a lot, I think a lot of the, um, the upper woodwinds. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the Percy Granger part. And that's what reminded me of Percy Granger. And also a little bit of that. I'm sure you know it. You've played it before, the English Suite uh, by Ray Fon Williams. Yeah, by Ray Fon Williams. Yeah. So it kind of has this sort of like um, military aspect to it, but also kind of like. Uh, whimsy and uh, sort of like exactly kind of like a British style march, you know. Very um, much so. And given the given the the context of the film, mm-hmm. I think 
that was probably what he was going for. It, it was actually kind of funny because when I listened to it initially, I was like, this is like Percy Granger meets Star Wars. And <laughs> the only reason why is it's, it's so, I mean, like if you listen to it without context, you might not actually know that it's John Williams until you yeah. hear those chromatic third progressions that he adds in to everything because he loves it so much. Um, and it adds a sort of like weeble wobble feeling, the teeter tottering feeling exactly what I'm doing with my camera right now, but you don't really know exactly how to feel about it. Um, and then, then it, be, then it just begins to grow and grow and get bigger, exactly kind of like a star Warsy and then a grandiose really heavily specifically. I almost felt like this individual movement could be a part of a symphony in a way. Just because, yeah. it, it, like, like I think, like you said, these both, uh, both Tintin and this movie were both directed by a Steven Spielberg. So, in a way, it it feels like there's this this constant rotation, movement, and thinking, and all this stuff. So, I don't know. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, given the nature of the the movie, um, he he waffles back and forth. I think between a couple of different styles that are mm. obviously very cohesive, because you know the Percy Granger style is the more country aspect of it, representing you know the the English countryside. Given that it is, you know, um, sort of a British tale, not sort of it is. Um, also, you know, English. I don't want to call it folk music, but I'll I'll just say folk music for lack of a better term tends to deal a lot or or is often represented by nature and given that the subject of it's a horse you know i mean that that is very natural um yeah, although for those who haven't um those who haven't seen it the movie is based on um oh yes of uh, course i'm sorry i didn't even read the blurb no no that's okay, okay. uh the well the, the subject of the movie is that it says young albert enlists to serve in world war one after his beloved horse is sold to the cavalry and he hopes right. his journey takes him, um, sorry, Oliver's hopeful journey takes him out of England and to the front lines as the war rages on. And mm -hmm. um, I actually saw the play of this um, hmm. when it was on Broadway. And uh, the horse is not obviously not real. It's a mechanically operated series of uh, limbs operated by people with, with sticks in contraptions and uh, it's a really interesting thing because you think it's going to be like off-putting because you've got you see people operating this machine on stage, mm -hmm. um, but it's not. It's it's you forget that the people are there after a while. It's very cool, which could be one of the reasons why you know the music has to be so important to the characters, right? Um, because they have to show the emotion. They have to uh, make you feel what the characters are feeling because obviously. They're trying to take you out of the belief of the of the movie, right? Right. Because you have to buy that this horse, which in the movie is obviously a real horse, um, is somewhat cognizant, right? Like it it has thoughts and feelings, but you don't ever know that. Mm -hmm. um, only the kid has the words that you hear. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I I liked your comparisons to to Von Williams and and Percy Granger. And I think that in general, you know, Williams has a lot of elements that made their music iconic because I was, I mean, he clearly must have studied them. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, definitely, yeah. As much as he studied probably Copeland, which we'll talk about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about later. Sure, sure. So, well, that, those are sort of my thoughts about it.
Yeah, I know. I, I think what's interesting about it is you did bring up a really good point that the movie was based on the play um, and that Spielberg brought it to the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's also weird about it. I mean, not to get too away from the topic of John Williams, but I find that the there it really is no main character except for the horse, you right. know? And that is such a weird thing to think about when you're sort of creating a movie. Like the movie is about a horse, not a person. Right. Like, and that's the, but that's the weird thing about it is it's the struggle of one beast that's able to overcome so many different things. And, and John Williams is able to sort of bring that to life. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing too. But my favorite part has to be at the end where John Williams writes really well for individual instruments, like the flute right at the mm-hmm. end. And it's just really beautiful. And I think what John Williams really likes about intr- instruments, well, instrument, instrument, um, <laughs> instruments, which is um, that the flute has a very wide range, you know? And I think that's yeah, what, I think that's what John Williams really likes about it. Like, you know what? I think, I think what's so, so beautiful about it was he he took the image of the at the end of the movie where you see the horse and the horse is kind of looking onto the horizon and just seeing the the sun coming down and he's returned back to the farm where he previously had lived you know and Mm -hmm. he's kind of returning home but like it's this like hero's glow you know and i think the flute has this like shiny quality and it's unique because it's shiny in all different registers of the instrument, you know, especially yeah. in that low register. It's, it's even, it's, it's, it's that low glow that's, just, it's still so cool. And then, which is the funny roar, because when you think, when you think of a grandiose instrument, you don't necessarily think of the flute. And yet, yeah. when you listen to some of the big pieces of, of orchestral work that have like this big grand ending i mean a flute is almost always present right and i like the way you described it as like shining quality it is sort of what it does it provides this this shimmer over what you're looking at it's almost like the reflecting of light off of you know eyes of the horse maybe you see it in the horse's eyes or well we had like a knight in armor or something you see the light reflecting off the armor yeah, it's like the end of um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's like it's like either Saving Private Ryan, um, something like that, where like it's like the the shimmer of the hero, and, yeah, and that's kind of what John Williams is going for with this one. Of course, he has great references, like he thinks about all these war movies that he he worked on with Spielberg, you know, and and those also really help him work on. Maybe like the hymn to the fallen in um, Amistad. I'm thinking of uh, uh, what movie am I thinking of? It's uh, Christian Bale. Um, you know what you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know. Um, hymn to oh. the fallen. Empire, uh, Empire of the Sun. Or something like that. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, there's like that sort of like visualization, you know, with the choir. But he does the same thing with the flute where. The flute is just so shimmering and so beautiful, and but yet it's you know it doesn't distract you from the image that's on screen, you know. And I think that yeah, it's like this image of of what the horse is, you know. I think it's it's such a cool uh, visualization. So, and then and then it's just like it, it, something that I'll, I'll talk about more is the use of echoing uh, within parts and stuff like that. We'll talk about that more. Um, he does that a lot. 
Yeah, we, I think we've talked about that before with him, where we talked about how he likes to, um, you know, you, you mentioned echo the part in others. So you hear the same line, but with the different timbres of the different instruments. Right. Which I think helps capture sort of a, uh, what's the word? Uh, I don't want to say diverse feel, but I mean, it's almost like it's the different characters' shared experience, you know what I mean? Because he often has different instruments, obviously, representative characters. It's a very light motif feel. Yeah, I think you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. We are going to take a break, and if you'd like to sponsor us and support us this podcast, please go to anchor.com. You can also search Music Speaks Podcast on multiple listening platforms such as Apple Music, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, and many more. We will be right back. Uh, back, back. And uh, don't go anywhere because more John Williams is on the way. I'm Sean Ramgunis. And I'm Hunter Sagona, and our friend Mary Haddix Hermans is with us. And we will see you next time to interview Carl Tremel, friend of Mary's. Uh, thank you, John Williams. Your debt to music will never be repaid, but we will always think of you as a giant in the industry. Remember to keep listening to what you love. <laughs> <laughs>